Good evening. Hey, thanks for coming tonight. I apologize for two things. Number one, scheduling. We scheduled this uh, in March, in the midst of March Madness, but especially to the tech fans. Apparently they're playing right now, so sorry. We'll have a live stream up. I'll keep you updated on the score as we go. All right. Um, Sunday nights, you know, if you're in a home group, we meet we meet every fourth Sunday, but uh, I mean, excuse me, we're off every fourth Sunday. And so we just thought it'd be a good time to gather on Sunday nights. One, we love Sunday nights. It's just always a, a fun time to get together and see more of each other. It also gives us an opportunity to dig in a little deeper in an area that we normally wouldn't be able to on a Sunday morning. It also gives us an opportunity to let other, other guys teach and preach. So last time we did it in February, Chance Morton, one of our interns, preached. That was mostly singing. So we'll do those sorts of things on the fourth Sunday of the month. Tonight, want to dig a little deeper into one of the most important doctrines in Scripture, the doctrine of justification. And it's fitting because we're in Romans and Romans 1 to, I mean, honestly, 11 are dealing with this doctrine. So it's an important doctrine, and I want y'all to have a good handle on it. So here's the answer to the pop quiz right up front. What does it mean to be justified? It means to be declared in the rights. Justification is about our standing before God. And if we're sinful and he is holy, it makes this doctrine of utmost importance. If we're talking about our standing with God, it doesn't get a whole lot more important. And so Luther says that this doctrine is the article upon which the church stands or falls. He says it's that important. The article upon which the church stands or falls. I think he's right. And I want to show you and I want you to have a good handle on it. So first... The importance. We're going to go fast and hopefully have some uh, time for, for some Q&A if you have any. So first, just thinking about the importance of this doctrine. I want to talk a little bit about history and then the Bible. It's good to think about history. We're not the first ones to go about this thing called the Christian life. The Holy Spirit has a story. And so here we are as Baptists. In many ways, the reason we are Baptist is because of the doctrine of justification. To broaden it out even further, the reason we are Protestant is because the doctrine of justification. The Roman Catholic Church had become corrupt. Even Roman Catholic scholars teach that, by the way, at the time of the Reformation, 16th century. But one of the things that they had taught was that justification was by faith plus works. We're going to see in a little while that that is not the clear teaching of Scripture. They also taught that justification was a process not a one-time declaration. And so it was a process that you had to continually basically work and gain. You could lose it. Uh, it started at baptism. And so there was really never any assurance. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church didn't want their people to have assurance. You never really knew, am I saved? Am I good enough? Because there was no full-blown forgiveness, no teaching that justification is a one-time declaration. So that's what they taught. That was the norm. Well, here comes Martin Luther. Uh, we talked a good bit about Luther. What was that? I guess fall 2017. You can go back and listen to that if you want. And basically to sum it up, he began studying the scripture and he comes to the letter to the Romans. It was the main place that his eyes were open was Romans 1, 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for in it the righteousness of God was revealed. Well, he thought the righteousness of God was God's judging righteousness. So he hated it. He says that I hated the righteousness of God. Well, studying Romans in context, he came to see that it was actually the right standing that we're given. It's the gift of the gospel that we receive by faith. And it changed everything for Luther. He nails his 95 thesis and God's providence. Um, the printing press had just came into reality. And so now Luther's teaching based on the Bible 
goes viral, and we have the Protestant Reformation. And here is how the Council of Trent responded. This is why this is still important for us as we talk to our loved ones that are Roman Catholic or Church of Christ as well, because they both fall into the same area here. But I want you to hear how the teachers of the Roman Catholic Church responded to the Reformation. This is at the Council of Trent. This is what they say. If anyone says that the sinner is justified by faith alone, meaning that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the grace of justification, and that it's not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the action of his own will, in other words, works, let him be anathema, which means accursed. It's from Galatians 1. So what Rome taught in the Council of Trent and what they still affirm today is that if anyone says what I'm going to argue from the Bible tonight, that we are justified by faith alone, that we are accursed, damned to hell. They still believe that. This is one of the first places I go when talking and, and wanting to share the gospel with Roman Catholics because most of them don't know that. Most of them don't know that they believe this about me or about us. That's just one. That's Canon 9. I'm going to read one more from their canon. And remember, in the Roman Catholic Church, whatever the church says is the authority, right? They say scripture and church tradition are on the same plane. They also said this, if anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else than confidence in divine mercy, which remits sin for Christ's sake, or that it is this confidence alone that justifies us, let him be anathema. Again, if you're only trusting in Jesus Christ for full forgiveness, let them be accursed. So if you believe that tonight, and I'm going to teach that tonight, we are condemned by the Roman Catholic Church. It is in this sense that we are very much still Protestant, still protesting. So these are important matters historically. Luther said that nothing in this article can be given up or compromised, even if heaven and earth and things temporal should be destroyed. It's the article on which the church stands or falls. Calvin, one of a, a later Protestant reformer, said that justification by faith alone is the principal hinge on which all true religion turns. The principal hinge. More modern day guy, Jack Packer, he says the doctrine of justification by faith is like an atlas. It bears a world on its shoulders, the entire evangelical knowledge of saving grace. Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, Baptist preacher, said justification by faith should be far more than it is the daily testimony of Protestant pulpits. One of my professors at Southern, Brian Vickers, says justification by faith is not the whole of the gospel, but there is no gospel without justification by faith. And so it's really important historically. We could say a whole lot more, obviously. But is it important just because a bunch of theologians say so? Not for that reason alone. I want us to look at the Bible, see why it's important for us to spend some time on it tonight. Really two main reasons. One, this verb, justify, occurs 39 times in the New Testament. It's 27 books of the New Testament. This verb, just the verb, justify, occurs 39 times. And so anything that happens that often in the Bible, it's probably important. Second, justification is at the heart of the gospel. We talk a lot about the gospel at Southside, right? We want to be gospel-centered, focused on the good news. And justification by faith is at the heart's of that good news. I want to show you that from scripture. So turn over to the book of Galatians. I'm going to try to avoid Romans since we're going to be in Romans. Galatians and Romans have a lot of overlap though. Flip over to Galatians 1.
Galatians 1, let's start at verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. If you know Galatians, what was going on was there were these false teachers wanting to add to faith in Jesus Christ. They were basically saying it's not faith alone, it's faith plus the works of the law. Paul says it's a different gospel. Then notice this warning, man, this is so harsh. So I didn't say this, Paul says this. Verse 8, but if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's actually the language that the Council of Trent gets from. Verse 9, in case it wasn't clear, as we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. If anyone adds to this gospel, they are the ones that are actually accursed. And what's the gospel? Flip over to chapter 2 in Galatians. Probably the clearest. Here's the thesis statement of Galatians in verse 2, 16. Notice what he's going to do. He's going to say the same thing three different ways. Yet we know that a person is not justified, declared in the right, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we've also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He couldn't get any clearer, could he? By faith, not works. Faith, not works. Faith, not works. If anyone comes and says we're justified by faith plus works, it's a different gospel. While we're in Galatians, look at chapter 3, verse 8. Again, my point is, the gospel, the heart of the gospel is justification. That's the point. Notice what he does in chapter 3, verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing, so here scripture is personified and it sees ahead. The scripture foreseeing that God would, there it is, justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So notice what he's saying there. He's saying there that the scripture, and he's speaking of Genesis, because this is a quote from Genesis. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, declare us in the right by faith. And he says what that's doing is preaching the gospel. In other words, what is the gospel? Justification by faith. That's, that's the key here. Paul equates the gospel with being justified, being declared in the right by faith. Now, as we're talking about the gospels, we're sharing the gospel, we may not use the word justify, but if the concepts of God is holy, we are sinful, we must be declared in the right, the concept of justification is not present, we're not sharing the biblical gospel. So that's why it's important. When we're talking about justification, we're talking about the heart of the good news. It's foundational. All right, so quickly then, Let's look at a few things here. Let's look at the need, the basis, the instrument, and the results. And we're not going to say much on all these. You could write books on each of these. What's the need? So if the need is sin because God requires perfection. What does God require to be saved? Absolute perfection. Adam and Eve sinned one time and they got kicked out of the garden. God doesn't grade on a curve. It's not 
your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds. It's not just sincerity. It's not just good intentions. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. He had what he thought were great intentions. He was extremely serious, and he was extremely seriously wrong. So God requires perfect righteousness all the time, and that's the problem, right? We're going to see it in Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Here's where we're moving eventually as he concludes this section on the sinfulness of sin. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Then in verse 23, there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what is the need for justification? The need is that we're all sinful. The need is that God requires perfect righteousness. None of us can get there. Every mouth is stopped. We're all left empty in desperate need of a right standing that God requires and we cannot attain. So that's the need. Then what's the basis of justification by faith? And the basis is the life and death of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. We are declared in the right. We are justified on the basis of the cross of Christ. He became our substitute. He lived the life we should have lived but didn't. He died the death. We deserve to die. Praise God we don't have to. This is what we talked about the other day about imputation. God counts our sin to Jesus and God counts Jesus' perfection to us as we trust him. Put up a chart that uh, I think I talked too fast as we went by. I'm not a visual learner, and so this does nothing for me, but maybe it does something for you. That's probably why I messed it up last time. So here's us. This is just us. The negative here, that's where we begin. We're, negative. We're in the negative. We're sinful. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Forgiveness is one aspect of justification. Taylor mentioned this morning, we can often teach kids justification is just as if I had never sinned. Just if I had never sinned. That's true, it's just half truth. It's the top. Just as if I had never sinned just leaves us to a blank slate. And God requires perfection, not just emptiness, not just neutrality. He requires a positive righteousness. So the first part is forgiveness of past sins. That's one part of justification. The second part is the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. And so we move from just being forgiven, blank slate, to having the positive righteousness that God requires. It's the great exchange. Let me read a couple of verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says, Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption so we are moved from being in Adam this is Romans 5 we'll get to eventually to being in Christ we are united to Christ so he's now our representative so if we've trusted in Christ and God looks down upon you even if you had a terrible day he doesn't see you in all your terribleness your life is hidden with Christ he only sees his son and he affirms his son 2 Corinthians 5 21 If you don't have that memorized, that's a great verse to have memorized. God made Jesus to be sin. God counted Christ as if our sin was upon him. He made Jesus to be sin who had no sin. Again, he's the only one who has lived perfectly righteous so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange or Philippians chapter 3. 
We read this the other day as well. Paul had a lot of positive, what he thought was positive. If anyone was going to boast, he could boast about how well he had done, how well he had performed. Though I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence, I have more. And he lists several benefits that he had. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, you couldn't point a finger at Paul. Couldn't point anything in his life. He was totally consistent outwardly. We know he wasn't perfect. He tells us that. But he was blameless. You couldn't, you couldn't accuse him outwardly. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish. This word is borderline cuss word. Garbage, filth. All that I had and I thought was in the credit side is actually a debit side. Why? In the middle of verse 8, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. There's that idea of being united to him, union with Christ. I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. That's such an important word. This right standing comes from him. It's a gift. And he says it depends on faith. So the basis is the life and death of Christ. He was totally perfect where we should have been. He died for us as our substitute as we deserved. So that's the basis, life and death of Jesus. The basis of justification, the life and death of Jesus Christ. What's the instrument for justification? By instrument, I mean what instrument does God use to give us this righteousness? What means does God use? How, in other words, is a person justified? And here's where, as a pastor, I get really discouraged. Christianity today, because again, this is basic to what it means to be a Protestant. This is why I really want you to have this down, unlike the vast majority. So Christianity Today, one of the biggest Christian magazines around, they did a study on what they called Protestant self-awareness. In other words, the Protestants really know what Protestants believe. And I could share a lot of it uh, with you. I won't. It was discouraging, but here's the key I wanted to mention. 52%, so more than half of people who said they were Protestants in America, believed that faith plus good works were needed for justification. In other words, half of all Protestants don't know what the Bible teaches and don't know what it means to be a Protestant. And I don't want that to be the case at Southside Baptist Church. The answer, what is the means by which we are justified, is faith, and it's faith alone, not by works. We've seen that in several passages already. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. From faith, from first to last. We saw that in Romans 3, for all who believe. Saw that in Philippians 3, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. We saw that in Galatians 2.16 where he said the same thing three times. Not by works, but by faith. Not by works, but by faith. Not by works, but by faith. We are justified by faith alone. It's one of the solas of the Reformation. Sola fide, faith alone is what justifies us. And it's not that faith saves. Faith is not meritorious. Faith is not a work. Faith is just the outstretched, empty hand that lays hold of Christ. 
Faith is receptive. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. Faith is dependence on another, not oneself. It's just the instrument, the means God uses to justify. Faith is like the cord that goes into the outlet. The outlet is Christ. The cord just connects us to him, just unites us to him. So it's not that faith saves, it's that Christ saves through faith. It's the instrument. So here we are, sinful. God requires perfection. That's the need. What's the basis? Life and death of Jesus Christ. How do we receive the benefits? We trust him. We put our faith in him. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. And we're declared in the right. Declared righteous. We're going to hit this again and again in Romans. It's a big message of Romans 4. So what's the instrument? Faith and faith alone. Faith from first to last. And what are the results? And man, you could say a lot here. But I'm going to major on one, and the results are joyful assurance. So what's the result? It could say really a changed life, because we're, we're not justified by works, but we are justified for works. And this order is really important for us to get. Just in our own life, it's important for us to get. Galatians, we've read a few passages. The message is really justification by faith alone. We see that again and again in Galatians 1, 2, 3, 4, and then in 5. So, so the whole book so far, the message has been not works, not works, not works. Faith, faith, faith. Not by works, but by faith. He says that multiple times in the first five ter- uh, chapters of Galatians. Then he comes to Galatians 5, 6, and he says, uh, ethnicity doesn't count. All that counts is faith working through love. We talked about this in the Romans 1 series. Faith, if it is genuine faith, will lead to a changed life. But we are not justified on the basis of faith. Faith transforms and it's evidence that we've believed, but it's not the basis. And so what's your hope? It's not you. It's Jesus Christ. But when we are justified, the result will be then a changed life. Again, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, another great verse to have memorized. For by grace you are saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's not a result of works. Lest anyone should boast. That's 2, 8, and 9. Verse 10, though, says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So there in those little three verses, not by works. You're not saved by works. But you are created for good works that God laid out beforehand that we should walk in them. So not by works, but for works. Again, that order is really, really important. Works are the evidence and the result, not the basis of our salvation. Again, Spurgeon says, we're sure that no one is saved by works. But we are just as sure that no one is saved without them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's got a little book called uh, The Cost of Discipleship that focuses on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, the only person who has a right to say that he's justified by grace alone is the man who's left all to follow Christ. So justification is the foundation, right? There's a whole lot more to say. We're talking about the foundation of the Christian life is the fact that our sins are forgiven. We have a confident standing before the Lord. Everything else is built on that foundation, what we call sanctification. Sanctification is a process and it is lifelong. It's that process by which we are conformed to Jesus and it'll take us the rest of our lives. And it goes like this. That's not what justification is like. Justification is a once-for-all declaration. There are no degrees of justification. You, if you've trusted in Jesus, are just as justified as the Apostle Paul. 
You could obey for a thousand years and you would not be more accepted before God than you are the moment you believe because the moment you believe you are declared in the right. Sins forgiven. Past, present, and future. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, all of your sins were future. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. What do we read in Romans 8? When there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we've trusted, it's settled. There's no condemnation. Or what he does in Romans 8, he speaks as if glorification, when we're made to be like Jesus at the resurrection, has already happened. He says, of those who've been justified, he says, those, uh, this is verse 30, Romans 8, verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called, those whom he called, he also justified, those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's secure. If you're in Christ, your future is secure. So we should have assurance. God wants us to have assurance. And it should be a joyful assurance. Faith alone is the heart of the gospel, which is why so many of the classic hymns that we've sung and sing are focused on this truth. Let me just read some. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Then towards the end, when he shall come with trumpet sound, Philippians 3, O may I then in him be found clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Nothing good have I. Whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And now complete in him my robe, his righteousness. Clothed sheltered neath his side, I am divinely blessed. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Nothing can for sin atone nothing but the blood of Jesus not of good that I have done nothing but the blood of Jesus this is all my hope and peace nothing but the blood of Jesus this is all my righteousness nothing but the blood of Jesus her top lady in the 18th century a debtor to mercy alone of covenant mercy I sing nor fear with God's righteousness on my person and offerings to bring the terrors of the law and of God with me can have nothing to do my Savior's obedience and blood. There it is. His life and his death. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. What good news. To be justified is to be declared in the right by faith and faith alone. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I could go on for hours. I wanted us to talk. So I need you to ask questions. Uh, anything unclear, any clarifications, any um, Comments, anything? So faith is not a work. It's not something that we add. It's something we receive. It's not something, uh, it's simply like the cord, cord illustration. It's nothing real powerful in the cord itself, but it plugs into the power. And sometimes I think that's helpful for us to think. It's not about the strength of our faith. It's about the strength of the object of our faith. And he's strong, strongest savior, even for the weakest faith. They would, uh, they would define justification differently. So the question, if you didn't hear, was uh, 
What would a Roman Catholic say to Galatians 2.16? And they would define justification as a process rather than as a legal declaration. And there's really no debate about it in terms of dictionary that it's a law court term. To justify is a legal term. And it is to be declared in the right. That's what it means. They also teach that that happens in baptism. And if you'll notice, did you hear anything about baptism in any of the passages we read? It's justified not by baptism as an infant, but by faith as a believer. And so this is where they've just gone astray from Scripture's clear teaching. And this is where I go to, brother. When I talk with, with friends, I want to I, I go right there, actually. We go to the book of Galatians. This is also not to say there are no Christians in the Roman Catholic Church. There are many genuine born-again believers in the Roman Catholic Church in spite of what their church teaches. They're trusting in Christ alone in spite of what the church believes. That's an important thing to say. When I talk with Roman Catholics, uh, most of them don't have a clue about their, their church's tradition or about the Bible. And so Galatians is a great place to go. But they'll also say those that are really, uh, really animals have no bones about the fact that, hey, we put the church's teaching, human tradition, right on the same level. And so, yeah, you may say that about Galatians, and that may sound right, but here's what the church has told me to believe. Because for them, it's an issue of authority. I mentioned Church of Christ because Church of Christ teaches, at least generally speaking, I'm, I'm looking for exceptions here. Maybe y'all can help me. Uh, but historically, Church of Christ has believed that salvation is by faith plus what? baptism did we again it's really similar here it's works righteousness and if someone is trusting in water instead of christ that applies to galatians 1 and again that's not to say there are no true christians in the church of christ it's to say that they probably don't know what their church teaches about the gospel because to say that we must be saved by anything you can do anything jesus plus you've left the gospel of scripture any other questions clarifications comments Yes, great question. If you didn't hear, our Bible major here. Great question. What about James 2? It says we're not justified by faith alone. Does the Bible contradict itself? Because we've seen very clearly that Paul teaches that it is by faith. Do James and Paul contradict one another? No, for two main reasons. We've got to ask, what does Paul mean and what does James mean by faith? And what does Paul mean and what does James mean by the verb justify? Paul's actually the only one that uses the verb justify to talk about our standing with God. What James is talking about is outward justification, what we might call vindication. So let's read the passage. Uh, start in James 2.14 if you've got your Bible open. And I'll, I'll do some uh, interpretation as I read so you can see what I'm saying. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. He's talking about a false kind of faith. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? That's Genesis 19, 20, 21, 22. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. That's key. Faith was completed. 
Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled saying that Abraham believed God, Genesis 15, so before chapter 22, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone in the same way. Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified, vindicated by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So really what you have, James and Paul, of course, are on the same team. We see that in Galatians 2. They gave each other the right hand of fellowship. What you ought to picture is James, James and Paul back to back, combating two different enemies of the gospel. Paul's combating legalism, Jewish legalism. So what he means is we are declared in the right before God by faith and faith alone. Paul agrees, as I mentioned, that works will come after that. James is combating a different set of enemies of the gospel. We might call it this way. Paul fighting legalism, James fighting licentiousness. People are saying, oh, I believe I can do whatever I want. He's saying, no, even the demons believe you don't have true faith. So what he means by faith is a false faith. Paul's talking about true faith. James is talking about a false faith. And James is talking about being vindicated, not before God, but before people, just like Abraham was. Abraham was declared in the right, Genesis 15, 6, when he believed God, Genesis 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, he was shown to be right by his action. So even James sees the order of Genesis 15, 6 coming before the rest of the Abraham narrative, which is actually gonna be really important in Romans 4. The fact that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness before any works, before circumcision, before Isaac is really important. Again, the order makes all the difference. So great question though couple more yeah absolutely so Stephen asks how do you where we tend to stray and we want to smuggle in works so how do we how do we combat it do we preach it to ourselves and yes and amen because we're all in Adam and so we're hardwired for self-salvation our default mode is that I am my own savior and so there's, we have to preach this gospel to ourselves every single day. And it's also why we're going to preach it from the pulpit every single week because we need this reminder every single hour, do we not? The most mature believers still fall into this mindset as if our standing before God is dependent upon us. Just think about how you handle your sin, okay? All of you sin, you probably sin today. If not, you will, or you will tomorrow. How do you handle your sin? There's a Christian way and a pagan way. And the pagan way is basically to try to self-atone. And that can look all sorts of different ways. For me, when I was a very early believer, I would sin and think, okay, I, I can't, I gotta, I, I'm, I blew it. I gotta wait. I gotta just kind of do this self-penance, make myself feel bad, give it like two days. And okay, now, now I can go back. I've, I've atoned for my sin. And that's just anti-gospel. The gospel teaches that when you sin, you run back to him and God is glorified when we go back to him, confess our sin and reappropriate. Nothing has changed with us. Nothing has changed with our standing, but we reappropriate the blessing of justification. Go back to the cross again and again and again and again. And we as leadership at Southside are going to keep the cross before you all the time. We're going to sing it. We're going to teach it. We're going to preach it. But in our own hearts, we do got to preach it to ourselves every single day. Oh, it's so frustrating. I remember Piper, Piper hearing, hearing him say, it's like I got to get saved every single day. I resonate with that. And then and this gets so practical because think about, uh, I mean, this gets practical in marriage. This gets practical in parenting. Think about criticism. Someone criticizes you. How does justification by faith alone apply to criticism? 
Someone says, well, you really blew whatever. And different people respond in different ways. Some of you are like, you know what, whatever, I'm good. Some of you, it devastates you. Some of us, it goes in between, depending on the day, right? Well, how does this help? You know what? You don't even know the half of it. I am sinful. I am a sinner. I do blow it. You know what? God has declared me in the right. And he wasn't surprised by this sin. Jesus Christ died for this sin. So you're right. I apologize. I'm going to go back to the cross. I'm going to confess it and, and get renewed. Think about your marriages. If you're married in here, you're going to fight. How does the justification, how does the doctrine of justification apply to your marriage? Your spouse will sin against you. How will you respond? Is someone who believes the gospel? Can you take that doctrine of justification and bend it vertically? So you know what? They did legitimately sin against me. Whether or not they ask for forgiveness. What's our call? To treat them as I've been treated. And the person who knows how much grace we've received is quick to give grace, quick to forgive. You know what? They don't deserve forgiveness. God gave it to them anyway. So I'm going to grant forgiveness and restore the marriage. Same goes with parenting. I mean, we have with parenting. Same thing with parenting. You just, you apply the gospel in, in all sorts of ways. Could go on and on and on. So, but it is a battle to be fought every single day. Uh, Luther would preach this gospel. Luther, I, I mentioned Luther, like y'all all know I love Luther. Luther had a lot of problems. He really did. Some severe problems. Here's why I love Luther so much. He was so in tune with his own fallen heart. And he was also so in tune with how well the gospel provided the solution to the fallen heart. So he was constantly returning to it in his own life. So I find his, his writings refreshing in that way. And he was the one who would just major on the gospel, preached it and preached it and preached it. People said, why do you always preach the gospel to us, Pastor Luther? Because every week I come in here and you look like a people who don't believe the gospel. <laughs> Great question, though. It gets so practical. It gets so practical as we would expect the gospel to do couple more so great question it all depends so when we say christian we're talking about someone who has trusted jesus christ and is entrusting in christ alone so that's a christian there are many catholics that are doing just that so there are many catholics that are christian in the sense that they're trusting in christ alone the problem is the church the official teaching of the church teaches something else and so we are protestant christians in the sense that we believe this doctrine catholic christians uh, don't. And I'm trying to show why it's really important because it's at the end of the day, it's where do we get our assurance? So if I were to ask you, you're going to die tomorrow. How do you know you're going to stand before judgment day? St. Peter's going to be at the pearly gate. So there's no biblical evidence that that's the way it's going to go down You say, why should I let you into heaven? Think about your answer real quick, but not out loud. Just answer. What would you say? Why should I let you to heaven? The answer should be, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. I've got nothing to offer. Jesus Christ died for sinners. I've got nothing. I'm not looking at my baptism. I'm not looking at my works or my faith or my love. Jesus Christ died for sinners. That's why you should let me in here. And that's the difference to where the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church would say, Jesus plus all these other things you do. So it's really important to know because we have good days, right? We have good days. We also have bad days. And so we don't have to measure do the good deeds weigh out the bad deeds. Doesn't matter because God requires perfection. None of us meet it. Praise God, He's provided a perfect substitute. Again, the heart of the gospel. Oh, good question. Maybe one more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great question. So, from the human perspective, we got to believe. 
right? And so that's when we're preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel, discipling our kids. You must believe the gospel. And so we push that element, which is absolutely true biblically, right? Bible has kind of two big poles here, our responsibility and God's sovereignty. And I think this, if I'm, if I'm not, if I'm barking up the wrong tree, let me know. But so it teaches both. So from the human side of it, we are absolutely responsible to make saving faith, to believe, turn from our sin. You see the way the apostles preach the gospel, going city to city, believe in Jesus, submit to his lordship. On God's sovereignty side, we know that we see, we're seeing Romans 3, there are none righteous, no one seeks for God. We're dead in sin. And so we know from God's sovereignty side, he's got to be the one who gives us that gift of faith, turns the lights on. Or as Acts, Acts says in my favorite examples, Lydia. Lydia is this unbeliever and Paul goes and it says the Lord opens her heart. And so that's what we're praying, right? That's what I'm praying as I preach. That's what we're praying for our children. That's what we're praying as we share the gospel. God, this person's not going to believe. They're hardened in their sin unless you do a work in their hearts. But from the human perspective, we don't realize it. We just start believing, right? In my own testimony, I heard the gospel probably, I mean, who knows how many hundreds of times I'd heard the message. And uh, one day, the lights came on. It's probably all your story. One day, the Spirit opened my eyes and it became precious instead of boring. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, and that's where there's such confidence in that gospel message, right? This is Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. So as we share that gospel, that's what God uses to grant the gift of faith. He summons us to faith through that gospel message. So freeing and so encouraging as we do ministry and raise kids and teach Sunday school and preach the Bible. All right, let me, uh, let me close out. I want to read a section here. One of the things that, one of the ways that you can, Help Stay Gospel-Centered. This is a book by C.J. Mahaney, Living the Cross-Centered Life. This was the first book I took the staff through when I got here because it helps keep the gospel the main thing as a subtitle. So we, in our mind, is Stephen's question, we tend to conflate justification and sanctification. Justification is the foundation declared in the right. Sanctification is our growth in godliness. And we tend to conflate those. And again, that's, the, that's what the Roman Catholic teaching does actually, conflate them even though the Bible doesn't. Here's some practical application. Do you, don't confuse these two. <clears throat> Do you have a clear grasp of what justification and sanctification are? Without understanding the distinction between the two, you'll be vulnerable to legalism. I encourage you to study these theological terms, not so you can impress your friends, but because understanding the differences between justification and sanctification is vital to defeating legalism. Again, I believe every one of us is legalist. Every person. Nearly every person I've met who struggled with legalism had a faulty understanding of how justification and sanctification are related to each other and how they are distinct. We must distinguish between justifying grace and sanctifying grace. At the risk of repeating myself, let's compare them point by point so you can clearly see the differences between them. Justification is being declared righteous. Sanctification is being made righteous, being conformed to the image of Christ. Justification is a position before God. A position that becomes permanently ours at the time of our conversion. Sanctification is our practice that continues throughout the life on earth, throughout our life on earth. Justification is immediate and complete upon conversion. You'll never be more justified than you are the first moment you believe and trust in the person and finished work of Christ. Sanctification is a progressive process. You'll be more sanctified as you continue in grace-motivated obedience. 
Justification is objective, Christ's work for us. Sanctification is subjective, Christ's work within us. William Plummer sums it up well when he writes, Justification is an act. It's not a work or a series of acts. It's not progressive. The weakest believer and the strongest saint are equally justified. Justification admits no degrees. A man is either holy, W-H-O-L-Y, wholly justified or wholly condemned in the sight of God, end quote.